Book One, Chapter Two of The Mask by Florence Irwin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Elsa Terry turned over in her bed and opened her eyes. It was pouring in steady sheets. She tried to remember what day it was. Oh, yes, Monday. And father and mother were going away on an early train to a big auxiliary meeting. The rectory household was run on the old fashioned plan of a big Monday washing done at home by the two maids. This entailed the delegating of certain smaller tasks to the members of the family. Always on Monday mornings Mrs. Terry and her daughters washed the silver, filled the lamps, made the beds, dusted the rooms, and set the luncheon table. Then Ellen emerged from her tubs in time to serve luncheon, and housework for the Terry girls ceased for another week, except, of course, in the case of any unusual festivities. It wasn't a very severe program, but it didn't appeal to the soul of Elsa Terry. A rainy wash-day in a two-servant house with the mistress away was not her idea of bliss. She decided that she had a backache. Alison, she called, hearing a step in the hall. But it was not Alison. Gertrude stuck her head in at the door in response to her sister's voice. What do you want? she asked. If clashes had been permitted in that family, they would inevitably have arisen between Elsa and Gertrude. Oh, Gertrude, won't you tell Alison that I don't feel well, and ask her to bring me up a tray when she has time? There is no hurry. You'd better get up, replied Gertrude unsympathetically. It's Monday morning, and mother's going away, and there's work to do. Of course you forgot all that. With which shot she departed, leaving the door in just the position that she knew Elsa hated. She had gone as far as she dared. However, she delivered the message downstairs, to an audience much more sympathetic than she had been. Alison promised to see about the tray, and Gertrude went over to kiss her father before sitting down to the table, his youngest daughter having been primarily the greatest disappointment of Mr. Terry's life, was now his absolute idol. Every one had hoped that Gertrude would be a boy, and she was to have been named John, after the beloved disciple. Fate willing otherwise, this third daughter of the Terry household had done her best to atone by becoming a veritable tomboy. She played exclusively with the boys of her contemporary circle. She drilled an army equipped with wooden guns purchased with her own Christmas money. She herself was the general, and at all school fates her army rallied in force to do her honor. No tree was too tall for her to climb, no wall too smooth to scale. As a little girl she had been her mother's despair but always, whether little or big, she was the apple of her father's eye. He saw no flaw in her. After a breakfast which lacked the usual rectory calm, Alison and Gertrude helped their mother into raincoat and overshoes, and Ellen announced that the hired hack was waiting at the door. It rumbled away somewhat later, amid a flutter of handkerchiefs and waving of kisses that a pair of average modern daughters would hardly accord to parents sailing for Europe. Going back into the dining-room, Alison began to arrange a dainty tray. "'Don't do any of the work till I come back, Gertsey,' she said. "'It won't take me a minute to fix Elsa up, and then we'll attend to things together.' She carried the tray to Elsa's room and set it on a convenient table. Then throwing a dressing-gown around her sister's shoulders, she closed the windows, pulled the shades to a comfortable height, and asked whether there was anything else that Elsa wanted. Do you know, Alison, I think you look better in your morning clothes than in anything else, said Elsa. She was very quick at paying graceful compliments, but equally quick at discounting those that fell from the lips of others. Do I? asked Alison. 
she glanced absently at her charming image in the mirror and gave her belt a little twitch in sooth she was a morning girl par excellence trig wholesome radiant no artificial light could enhance the delicacy of her skin no elaborate evening clothes could better exploit her spelt figure than did the plain serge skirt and mannish blouse which composed her workaday toilet alison's figure and carriage were her best points still absently she lifted a photograph from the dressing-table it was elsa's fiance that's awfully good of roscoe she began when suddenly from downstairs there arose a burst of sound it was a pounding dissonant noise produced by gertrude with the piano as an implement oh goodness cried elsa fretfully isn't that just like gertrude she's doing it on purpose to tease me that isn't real practicing and she knows it just slip me that novel over there alison and go down and make her stop the young imp alison could hardly keep her face straight as she ran downstairs again gertrude she said shaking her head at the culprit don't pound like that you'll ruin both the piano and elsa's nerves i must practice yes but you're not practicing now and you know it all right i'll play my scales elsa always enjoys those and off she went at top speed come on you monkey laughed alison come and let's get to work gertrude finally followed to be entirely frank with you ally she remarked elsa makes me tired of course she is no more ill than we are oh she may be dear you know that her back does trouble her bosh just because she had typhoid fever four years ago and found how agreeable it was to be waited on she's been clinging to that back of hers ever since oh well answered alison leniently what difference does it make come on and let's finish up this work i have some copying to do for father that's what you get for writing such a nice clear legible hand instead of scrawling all over the paper as elsa and i do isn't it queer alley the more you can do the more you have to i've always noticed it that's why i refuse absolutely to learn to carve or play dance music with all their industry it was eleven o'clock before alison was free to sit down to the copying she had mentioned ensconced in her father's desk-chair by the study window she still found it hard to keep her mind on its task it wanted to be free to wander and to wonder of all the rectory rooms alison loved the study the best its size and dignity and softly blended tones made a strong appeal to her artistic sense to-day it was particularly homey because of the open fire and the tempestuous storm outside all her life alison had loved a rainy day when as a child she used to awaken to one she would whisper to herself oh you dear day how i love you at school when there would occasionally come a morning so dark as to necessitate artificial lights alison would gloat over the weirdness of it and would almost dislike to see the final triumph of the sun as it struggled through the clouds mr terry always insisted that alison had duck blood in her she sat now absolutely luxuriating in the wildness of the autumn tempest on the panes the swiftly running drops reminded her of hobgoblin tumblebugs on the pavement their dash and rebound made her think of a marionette show she had seen as a child hold by invisible wires the stiff figures had danced and jumped and bounced exactly as did these merry raindrops outside little dancing men and women alison had named them years ago no city-dweller knows the real beauty of an autumnal storm 
the wet swirl of yellow leaves the sodden masses in which they ultimately lie piled the wildly tossing trees whose branches are farther denuded by each fresh blast and whose wet trunks gleam like softly polished metal the bowing and bending stems of bushes blossom-tipped and heavy all these things can be watched only in a landscape that is rural or at least suburban cities are always detestable in any sort of storm in them wind-storms instead of being wild and majestic are dusty and filthy snowstorms are inconvenient instead of exquisite dingy instead of dazzling sleet storms mean nothing but danger it is the country for storms at last alison dragged herself by main force to her work but inside her were all the feelings that she had not even attempted to put into words the assurance of kinship with the wildness of the elements coupled with the luxurious sense of sanctuary in the midst of violence a pervading throb of understanding and of shelter and well-being filled her exquisitely at luncheon elsa appeared and she was in a matinee this was against the rules of the terry household no one but elsa had ever attempted it and she only since her illness the conversation turned on a tea that lila russell the trolley-line heiress was giving that afternoon why do you suppose she chose monday wondered alison just because it was monday and to show that all days are alike in the houses of the rich answered elsa i've heard her say that among the fashionable families she visits monday is the favorite day for entertaining i wish you could go allie interrupted gertrude not that you'd enjoy it so much probably but because it is so much better fun to have you alison in mourning for her godmother was debarred from all present festivities in coningsboro they even had time to mourn and if that isn't proof of leisure i don't know what is a metropolitan young man of my acquaintance once went to a dance on the evening of his father's funeral day because he was so nervous that he absolutely had to do something to distract himself i suppose lila will be resplendent observed elsa i suppose so answered her younger sister i'll tell you all about it when i get home all three of these girls would have given a great deal to be able to talk things over naturally and to say what they really thought about them just at home just to each other not necessarily unkindly but frankly the restraint which had always been imposed on them was galling even after long years of training it was the outcome of pure goodness yet it was as artificial as lila russell's gentility high standards are always stilts but their absence is chaos to stalk or to crawl seems to be the range of human choice how it pours said gertrude suddenly i wish we weren't going out it would be such a cosy afternoon at home you are to have the hack replied alison mother said so but why do you go if you don't want to oh it will be nice when we get there elsa observed and in the hack we'll be all right don't default gertrude i hate running around alone roscoe is to meet us there then i'll have the pleasure of running around alone what an unselfish person you are elsa her sister disdained to reply come in about four o'clock and help hook me up will you alison she asked as she rose from the table something after four o'clock elsa and gertrude terry descended from the hack in front of a rococo pointed stone house with many turrets and numerous crude stained-glass windows opening their umbrellas to the blast they hurried up the walk mr russell was planning to build what he called a porte cochere 
but it was not yet in existence hence the walk up the path in the rain from all directions umbrellas were approaching evidently the party was to be large and this was the proper hour of arrival an imposing maid-servant stood on guard at the door the terry girls did not know the house very well it was not one that they frequented the russells were new aspirants for social honors even in coningsboro there were upper tens and lower hundreds there were snobs and leaders and pushers there were those whose positions were established and those who were seeking to establish similar ones where are there not these things to the dweller in the metropolis coningsboro's social strivings might seem humorous and its ultimate prize is slight perhaps in royal circles metropolitan social striving looks equally amusing will you lay off upstairs front room on the right asked the effulgent domestic and elsa and her sister went upstairs to lay off as invited the entire house was artificially darkened and artificially lighted hothouse flowers were everywhere groups of girls were giggling and greeting and prinking in the front room on the right and groups of rather disconsolate-looking youths were issuing from the opposite chamber american manhood does not shine at afternoon teas downstairs lila russell and her mother received alone both were resplendent self-conscious and beaming the arms of the debutante were full of flowers she continually apologized for her inability to detach herself sufficiently to greet her guests with a hand-clasp these violets alone weigh three pounds she kept announcing violets by the pound and pearls by the yard formed lila's heaven a caterer was in charge and waiters hovered everywhere this was an innovation in local custom only at the three annual assemblies had such service heretofore been seen in coningsboro but if the russells weren't impressive they were nothing as the afternoon wore on lila found a chance to say to each of her guests at last i am at liberty to speak of it madeline norton's engagement is announced a new york man she will live in new york this failed to produce any sensation scarcely any of the guests knew who madeline norton was most of them asked oh don't you remember i made two visits at the nortons on their wonderful estate the younger daughter rhoda is one of my intimate school friends madeline is her older sister and a tearing beauty in spite of the difference in our ages she has always been perfectly sweet to me i am so excited over her engagement i have known about it for some time but of course i could not speak of it till it was announced that was always the way with lila russell and her mother they had that inevitable attribute of all small natures an exaggerated love of unnecessary mysteries and secrets they made secrets of everything the tea dragged somewhat there was nothing to do it was before the days of afternoon dancing persons who had nothing in common or who saw each other every day anyhow stood around in groups and tried to make conversation such subjects as the decorations and the weather were soon worn threadbare all the girls were somewhat excited over the report that the old coningsby place had been taken by a handsome young man who proposed to spend the winter in it was it true they wondered and if so would he be apt to mingle in local festivities or to hold himself aloof was he a bachelor or a widower or had he a wife everyone asked and no one knew mrs russell and her daughter were alert at every mention of him they say he has spent a fortune doing the place over announced the matron 
Then he must be going to stay, simpered Lila. We must call on him, Mamma. Gertrude Terry, within earshot, turned quickly, and her eyes began to dance. She had one Russell joke at least to carry home to Allie. He has a wife, then? she questioned demurely. Well, I don't really know, admitted her hostess. But don't you think that he must be all the lonelier if he hasn't? Every house needs a woman's touch, I always say. I know Mr. R. could never get on without someone to look after him. One other good conversational standby there was, in the shape of an approaching tennis tournament, the first of its kind ever held in Coningsboro, and the first to offer cups as prizes. Three tennis courts on the outskirts of the town were Coningsboro's substitute for a country club. At last goodbyes were said almost in chorus, and the guests departed in a body. Mrs. Russell and her daughter were left to the most enjoyable part of their every festivity, complacent comments on their own elegance and criticism of the various guests. The rain had slackened, and Elsa and Gertrude Terry were escorted home by Roscoe Bartow, Elsa's future husband. Is Alison home? he asked, as the trio entered the rectory. I want to talk to her about that tennis match. Alison, where are you? called Elsa in response to his question. Here, answered Alison, appearing at the head of the stairway. Well, Roz is here, and he wants to talk tennis tournament with you. Alison came running down, munching the last little hot biscuit that Ellen had brought on her solitary tea tray. She seated herself on the next the bottom step of the broad stairway and clasped her hands around her knees. Hello, Roscoe, she greeted. What is it? She and her future brother-in-law were entered as partners in the approaching tournament. Elsa didn't care for sports, and would always rather be in the audience. Both her sisters, on the other hand, played an excellent game of tennis. What is it? repeated Alison. Why, see here, Alison, said the good-looking young fellow confronting her. You and I have a very fair show at those cups, if you'll only go at it right. But in that practice game the other day, you let Ed Pemberton and Maisie Carter beat us, just because you wouldn't keep playing the weaker partner. You know perfectly well that Maisie's game is brilliant but not lasting. You can easily tire her out. But that's just it, interrupted Alison eagerly. She does get tired out. Didn't you see how pale she was, and how she pressed her hand to her side every once in a while? Well, that was your chance. You should have smashed every ball at her. That would have been brutal. Not at all. That's the game. That's the way to win. You win a race because the other fellow gets winded before you do, don't you? Maisie Carter takes her chances when she goes into a tournament, just as everyone else does. If she hasn't staying powers, she'll be beaten. It isn't your business to protect her, and you're not playing fair to your partner when you do it. But that's such a mean way to win. Mean? What's mean about it? It's the only way there is. Well, said Alison slowly, I think things are queer. In everything else you're taught to protect the weak and to help them, and in sport you have to fall on them like vultures, it appears. Yes, you certainly do. It's all fair, because everyone is doing the same thing, you see. So Alison carried another of life's problems upstairs with her, to thresh out at her leisure. End of Book 1 Chapter 2